And I said, we're not going to be that couple that says, why us? We are going to be positive. We are going to honor him. We are going to make sure that his memory lives on in us and our actions. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, everybody. CB here, and welcome to You Fit Here. I have two very special guests today who are near and dear to my heart. It is actually my aunt and uncle, Paul and Stacy Canariato. I do want to make a note that today we will be discussing infant loss. So if this is in any way, shape, or form triggering for you, this may not be the episode for you. So to all of you valuable listeners out there, before we get started and you hear why my lovely aunt and uncle are joining me, I just want to remind everyone that this podcast is a space for literally everyone, and we want to bring you real-life stories because everybody goes through so much stuff, and we don't want anyone to ever feel like they are alone or that what happens to them is insignificant. We all matter. Every single life matters, including my baby cousins, Vincy. Vincy, who is Paul and Stacy's son, is no longer with us, but his beautiful 12-week-old life will always be celebrated by countless people thanks to my aunt and uncle. So please tell us a little bit about Vincy. Okay, Vince. Well, Vince was our first child, and the experience as far as my pregnancy and everything was, was normal. Birth was actually kind of clockwork. It was really interesting. You know, the whole process went exactly pretty much how my OB said it was going to go. And he came out and looks exactly like his father. (laughs) Um, Big, dark eyes. And just, yeah, like a mini version of Paul. And it was... A wonderful experience. Obviously, there Paul was there, and um, the usual, you know, kind of what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, took him home after a few days in the hospital, and experienced Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's with the the family, and he was very celebrated. And well, Vince was the youngest cousin. And his other cousins were all teenagers or in their teens. And so he, we had started a little later having children. And so he was very much of a, a welcome of a new generation of kids. And so his aunts and uncles and cousins were all excited. His nana was excited because there hadn't been a baby in the family for well over a decade. Um, so it was really quite a, a great time for everybody to have a new life and a new essence with all of us. And so he was perfectly fine. He was content. Um, he had an awareness to him that, looking back, perhaps was his way of telling us he wasn't going to be around that often. But he was alert and he was always paying attention and looking up and even with his little neck muscles would kind of struggle with his head out of the out of his carrier and just wanted to be aware and he had a little presence to him. 
Um, and so it was important that he saw different things. And we, Stacy took him out right away um, shopping, and we didn't hold back. Um, we went up, obviously he was born on the 13th of November, so then it was Thanksgiving, and then we went right into the holidays, and we had professional pictures. So we did a ton of stuff, as newborn parents would, and it was just you know, a wonderful time for us to welcome a new life into our family. And we all were very close on uh, the family and celebrating the holidays was important for us. And so it was, it was a great time for all of us. And he had his presence known and it was a different dynamic because again, with you being 17 and mm-hmm. so there was a, a total different feel to the holidays and to everything that was happening. So it was great. And we were very fortunate that he was perfectly healthy and, and didn't sleep very well, but that was kind of a foreshadowing of my own life and <laughs> with everything else with our other children. But it was definitely an important thing for us that we get him out and do different things. And so he definitely had a little presence to him. He certainly did. I remember all of those holidays, we were all together and he was the light at everything and in his little Santa suit and everyone was just adored him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So Vincy, my cousin, passed away from sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS. Can you take us back to when you got the news? Uh, Sure. I was in a meeting outside of my office. I was in northern Illinois with the basically the vice president of our company, and we were looking at um, some contract work. And as we were driving back from northern Illinois, I got a call from the police And so answered the call. He said, is this Paul? Yes, um, I need you to get in touch with your wife. There's been a situation with your son. And so I immediately knew at that point in time that he had gone. I felt it. I just got a chill and my body went cold. I said, my son's passed away. And he said, your son is very sick, so we need you to get to Children's Hospital. So I said, well, I'm in Northern Illinois, um, but my son is gone tell me what's wrong with him. And he said, he's just very sick. They wouldn't tell me over the phone. So I, and I don't know if that's the law or how it works with that. So I'm in riding in the car, got the news. And I knew that Stacy had been working at a different hospital. It was her second day back at work. It was Vincent's second day in daycare. So she was at a different hospital, so they couldn't get a hold of her. So I then contacted her to let her know that she needed to get to Children's Hospital. I then called your mother, knowing full well I was probably an hour and 20 minutes away and didn't want her to get to Children's by herself. So I contacted your mother and she went to Children's right away. And so I got to my car about 20 minutes after hearing the call from the police officer and the gentleman who was a friend of mine who was driving, he's trying to process and go through and he, and I knew full well that he was gone. So I just felt it. And so he was trying to talk me down. I'm like, no, my son's gone. So we need to just go and I need to get to my car. So I was driving a beat up Ford Taurus that I had gotten, um, topped in the car and basically drove 100 miles an hour while not caring whether the car exploded or whether I got pulled over, processing my own mental grief and my own disbelief and trying to make sense of what was happening. Fortunately, your mom met Stacy there. I got there. Um, my friend Eric had showed up. And so during that drive, I basically was going through everything and trying to deal with the, the horror that had come and that I knew, even though I never 
was told what was going on by the police. And it was during that drive. And I said, we're not going to be that couple that says, why us? Instead, we're going to honor his memory. We're going to honor his life. And we took that from that moment. As soon as I walked into the family room at Children's, Stacy was there with, with your mom. And I just said, we are going to be positive. We are going to honor him. We are going to make sure that his memory lives on in us and our actions. And so that's been going on now for 15 years. And so it's been a experience. And so that was the moment. And so then when Stacy came, I took her in my arms. We then shared our moments and our, our tears and had the opportunity at that point in time for the ER doc to come in. And we went in and we, and we saw Vince for the last time. So that was that. And so it was, you know, it, it, it's surreal for us because you're looking at somebody who that morning we dropped off and he was a life force. And then there was, looked like a little doll. He had the intubated tube in his mouth um, because they tried to resuscitate him. And what had happened was he went down for a nap and then the in-home provider went and looked at him. He wasn't breathing. And so he was gone. And luckily for us, we've always taken that moment that he didn't suffer. Mm-hmm. He went to sleep and he went to God. Mm-hmm. And so we are the ones who bore that burden of his loss. And that was why through the decision that was made, whether it's divine intervention or however the force that guides us all went through me, we decided at that point to be positive. And that's kind of the message that I kept repeating from moment one that Stacy and I got together in children's through the surreal moments and hours of being there and processing that. And I just kept saying it over and over as a mantra. And we continued through that moment. And then the days after of dealing with going to set up his memorial talking to the funeral home, getting it all set up because you're working as an almost an automaton in just a robotic state because you're in such shock and you're just in such disbelief of what's happening, but you have to deal with that. And so there's nobody else. I know that your Uncle Tom had offered to go to the funeral home and address it. I said, well, no, it's my responsibility. I'm his father. And so at that point in time, we just went through it and did it. And we were fortunate that we had so many loving people around us that were there for us. And we've had a monstrous showing at the funeral home. They were waiting outside, and so hundreds and hundreds of people. So that's kind of the the moment encapsulated in the days leading up and past. And so it truly was a, well, it's something that redefined our lives. And so, and that's my story on this. Mm-hmm. And Stacy, when you got the news, you arrived at Children's first with my mom. How was that moment for you before Uncle Paul almost came in and like was that rock or that like had that vision or mm-hmm. what oh, you want to call it? He definitely was the rock, <laughs> is the rock. Luckily, someone drove me from where I was working to Children's. So I, because they, knew there was something very, very wrong. So um, 
I got there and and um, your mom was actually she got there moments after I was there with my um, coworker who was you know everybody again like Paul said just rallies around you and lifts you up literally because you really couldn't physically do it yourself otherwise and your mom just hugged me and really didn't I don't recall talking that much just Mm -hmm. kind of sat there and waiting and then when Paul got there exactly what he said I mean he just took me in his arms and said we're we're going to get through this together and we're going to be positive and I just I just said yep and and I would say for a couple years I just followed that I just basically did what I needed to do and we were waiting so we went and we got to see Vince and then we left and then we had to wait there until the doctor and the social work like people had to come in and talk to us we were going to donate Vincy's heart valves to help other children save other children and there was a child just crying and crying in pain that and and literally the room we were in was just out like just down the hall and I just remember wishing that that was my child and um so when you talk about you know memory I mean I just can't get that out of my head but those those are part of the part of the path you know and that so then when when my child's crying you know do we you know you're okay you're alive so it it recalibrates your level of uh what causes you to freak out I guess um but anyway because we have and I will say that to people we've lived that through that call the call that you're worried about getting we've and to that end we're on the other side of it meaning you can still live and and have a fruitful life with good experiences and we did try different things you know we we went to see a I think he was a social worker you know like pretty much fresh after and it wasn't the right thing for us. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things he said was 85, 90% of people who lose a child get divorced. That was like the one thing that I remember from that. And at that point, we were very solid, you know, that losing Vince, like, just solidified us. And it seemed as though he didn't really know, the counselor kind of didn't know what to do with that. He was pretty much shocked that we, within two weeks after losing a child, that we were discussing it as we were and just said, we're here honoring his. We weren't, while we were devastated, we weren't in shambles. We 
stated the same thing where he didn't suffer. We're here to bear the burden of his loss. And that for us was great solace. We took solace in that. And he didn't know how we were at the point we were at as quickly as we were. And he, we saw him one time and he was, he was waiting for us to collapse and we didn't. And so we had that from the beginning. And again, I look at it as that was a decision that we consciously made. So then we went to a grief convention, a gathering, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, and we had held that belief. We're going to be positive. We're going to stay strong. We're going to honor his memory. And even at the grief weekend in the breakouts, you saw people who everybody deals with grief in their own way and it affects everybody. And as Stacy mentioned, it's like 85% of couples on top of the 50% of couples that fail in marriage anyways, 85% of the couples that lose a child then end in divorce. Um, we had made that decision. We weren't going to do that for his memory and to honor him. And so as all of these people were processing their grief and dealing with their own grief in their own way, because every single person deals with their own grief in their own way, um, we just took the energy and the the wisdom that we had gotten from his life and allowed us to continue on the path we did. And not anyone that was there was wrong in how they were dealing with their own grief. They were processing as they could. Um, and at that gathering that weekend, one of the keynote speakers gave us all a little heart and there was a hole in it. And she talked about how there's always going to be a hole in your heart when you lose a child, whether it be through miscarry, through whatnot, through accident, through illness, through what we dealt with, there'll always be that hole. And when you're in that moment of grief, you're trying to, you're almost like drowning each individual in a couple, and you're trying to hold on to your own, let alone worry about the next person. And so we saw that firsthand with all these people. And it was, it was really an amazing thing. And we had taken our path and that's the path we chose from that moment in children's hospital on. And it really has allowed us to be where we are, um, since that time. And we, to this day, we still live and define ourselves by the life that we had with our child, our firstborn, and the life we now have with our two beautiful daughters. Um, but that was our direction that we took. And it has been what has guided us for the last 15 years now. And I don't, as I'm listening to Paul, I, I just wonder, we both lost a parent prior to losing Vince and then to watch someone suffer and then become a shell of themselves that was I think part of where honoring Vince's memory and also keeping in mind that he didn't suffer so for him so often we get wrapped up in the loss of someone and forget they're free now they're they're in a better place and we truly believe whatever you're anyone's beliefs are that for us he he was in a better place he wasn't in pain and he hadn't really he had experienced a lot of life for the short amount of time he was here which for the funeral 
um, was so interesting, the amount of people that he had, what we took it as, look at how many people he affected. His little life had far-reaching tendrils, I guess you could call it. And and then Paul will talk about the popcorn store after, but the fact that, you know, we did the counseling and it just didn't wasn't like a right the right fit for us. And we tried the grief conference and that wasn't quite the right fit for us, but it, it gave us information. And we finally realized, okay, we need to do this our way. And I was really just following, following your uncle, following Paul, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is what we'll do. And as we went through the days after and the horror that our lives had become, one of the real defining moments and people was my eldest brother and his wife. They were both are both spiritual individuals who up to that point um, had been unsuccessful in having their own children. They took it upon themselves to really open themselves up and be present for us and to allow us to talk with them about what we were feeling each day and they would in turn offer us their perspective and their moment and their energy which really helped keep us in each day and in the moment and help guide us to the path that we chose and it was a struggle because it wasn't just Shangri-La it was a lot of really hitting the downfalls and the and falling and hitting the rocks and then getting up and trying to climb and then falling again and so there was always through many people and especially those two had their hands out that when we would fall they would be there to help pull us up and that's where so many people out there in our lives and in your life if you're dealing with people who are struggling just to stick that hand out there and can make a huge impact, um, whether it's via text message or a phone call or FaceTime or anything else, or just being there in a moment for a hug, because that can be such a huge factor in how that impacts us. And for us, it was it truly did help define our path at that time, because there were times where it was wavering, where we didn't know, and it was easy to get in the abyss, and that was they were a lifeline in many ways for us. And that was their choice. They decided to accept that role, which was truly invaluable for us and which I think personally has helped me take on that role that I would hope for others as I want to help people. And I, I think that the that concept of holding space, that there isn't necessarily a program or, you know, they didn't necessarily uh, have a plan. It was just they were there. And so for anyone who's looking to, you know, who has a friend who's grieving or struggling with something, there aren't magic words. Just being present, holding space, just being there 
saying absolutely nothing and holding someone's hand. And um, I, I think that to that end, we, we did read a book together called The Power of Now. Not, not saying that that's a magical book. However, just that title was also somewhat of a guide that it's the power in is in being present now and I probably could we should probably reread the book but um no it, it was it was a wonderful experience to having them hold space for us and extend the hand and it's it it was transformational and one other thing is a kiss on the cheek can mean so much because at his funeral there were all those lines and all those people and you came up and just gave me a kiss on the cheek and that I'll never forget that. <laughs> and so because it was shock and you were just there and it was it was a beautiful thing and I will never forget that. Then it spoke volumes to who you were then and also who the woman you've become now. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> and that wasn't meant to make you cry, sweetheart. <laughs> well, and we talk about as you said, how it impacted so many people, and even in your life, where it was your one of your teachers that was it their child was in the same house and said that in front of the class, and you're like, oh, that was my nephew, that was my cousin, and how the threads of the his life and impacted everyone else, and so it was quite a unique experience, and I guess. Perhaps at that moment now you can, if you want, to say what you experienced and dealt with to help circle it all for you and what this meant to you. He's turning the interview on me, you guys, so that I'll, <laughs> I'll cry. <laughs> yeah, I was in high school, and I remember my mom calling, and oh, you guys, and I was going to dance or teach dance that day. And, I said, no, I'm fine to teach. I'll be fine. I'm going to dance. Dancing makes me feel good. And then I think I got like halfway through the class sobbing and had to leave. I mean, a teenager, you know, you don't think you feel those things as much or as deep. But when you just hear how connected our family was, mm -hmm. it wasn't just a distant cousin who was 17 years younger than me. He was... My family, he was kind of like my nephew, even though he wasn't, mm -hmm. but I was so much older, I felt that way. And yes, the next day at school, one of my teachers said he couldn't be at school because his child had to leave this daycare because a little boy had died of SIDS that day, and it was Vincy, and oh my gosh. Then I felt like I needed to educate everyone in school, so mm -hmm. I did a whole speech on <laughs> SIDS. And, but when you research it and the statistics of how devastating it is i mean i i printed off names which was not eco-friendly but <laughs> printed <laughs> off names of babies that were honored who had passed of sids and i slammed bounds and bounds of paper on a desk that were just names and to see that i don't even think i got through the speech but i i do think i got an a on it <laughs> but how many then kids in that class were affected and just bring awareness to something that you otherwise might not ever hear about but it affects so many people in the world and connects so many people which is of course why we do what we do here so that we can all be connected in these moments well and i think um as i <laughs> did my own research 
you know, when you when I when we after we lost Vince, then as a mother, my you know I want to know could I have prevented this? What did I do? And did I not eat the right thing? Or did I, you know, what 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 was my part in this? And of course, you know, I the internet will turn you inside out and upside down. And of course, I got myself to a place where I killed my son. I mean, I literally just got myself all um, just blaming myself. And I think that in that hole in my heart, there's always going to be that spot, little spot of, yep, you know, like I will always in part blame myself, but that is overshadowed by honoring him. I, th- I think I think one of the um, really pivotal points for me and something I hold on to as a <laughs> balancing is that the um, Milwaukee County coroner called me. So they always do an autopsy, obviously, because they want to make sure that nobody heard him or anything. And she said, she, I mean, it was just, you don't expect to get a personal call from the coroner. And she said, I just wanted you to know that your son was beautiful and that I couldn't find anything wrong with him and that I could tell that he literally these are her words I could tell he was very well taken care of I mean how do you that was a gift from God those words she said were so I still I mean I I hang on to them today I needed to hear that so when we talk about how we find ourselves so fortunate we we talk about how the things that occurred how Vince passed that neither one of us were put in a situation of finding him it could have I mean this was my second day back to work could have easily been me so there for our situation, we held on to those things that allowed us to move forward. I mean, obviously, we're, we, <laughs> you always want your child back and all of, all of that, but we knew that's not possible. So we counted ourselves so fortunate for the way that things unfolded for us. And that call for me, still to this day, I mean, I can... I see myself exactly there. I, I know I have that moment permanently burned in my brain. That's how important it was. And I, I, I still I wish that I could reach out to her and say, you changed my life. You changed the direction, the trajectory, just as much as Paul saying, we're going to be positive and we're going to do this together. Okay, that's what we're going to do. And I just... That and then you know, and then we go to the next moment and the next moment, and each moment is a decision, and we try to acknowledge that and honor that that we make decisions moment to moment, and and thus the mantra was so important. 
because it became the defining decision. I could go this way or that way. No, I'm going, this is the way we're choosing. And I think that is super important. We choose it instead of looking at it that this was forced upon us. We are choosing our path. This can break someone. This can break someone. This can break your marriage. The odds are probably stacked against you coming right out of the gates. And there's so many people listening to this who have suffered a loss themselves and maybe didn't have that mantra, that moment, those things that would help steer the course. Can you give any I don't don't know if you want to call it advice, but advice that when you're presented with these moments, like the first counselor wasn't for you. The second thing, you just kept going and decided to make these choices and blaze this path for yourself. How can someone else get to that point or think that way that they have power over these choices that they're making? In certain instances, I looked at how we handled it knowing full well that we were the unicorn and that as I was dealing with my own grief and I was challenged by having to be supportive for my wife and for others in my family understood. And one of the things that I think as we touched on of having to deal with my father's passing. I was there the moment he passed away. I held his hand. I felt his heart stop. I dealt with my wife's learning of her father being sick and just understanding our grief and that no one is alone and that everyone's no one is wrong in how they deal mm-hmm. with their own grief because everybody's grief is different. Yeah. If you suffered as you did of your own miscarry and no one can say that, well, what you're feeling is wrong because everyone is different. I can't understand how another parent who loses a child, I can't comprehend that. And people will often say, oh, you know how I feel. I don't. No. All I know is how I feel. And I support you and I'm present for you. And so for everyone that's out there that has to deal with grief, it happens everyone individually because grief, there's no guideline and there's no textbook of what we can read about how to deal with grief. What I learned as the time went by and I was dealing with processing my own grief, it was to try to just open up and say, okay, I'm dealing with grief now. Open it up and not be resistant to it. Because if you're resistant to the grief, it will keep hammering you like a wave on a rock. But if you open it up and let it kind of flow through you and understand that's what I'm dealing with now, stop, take a breath, feel it, but don't let it control you and take over you. For us, that was what helped me. And it took a while, but I got there. And even to this day, I still deal with grief and I deal with it. And it's like, just breathe through it and understand what it is because it's going to hit in different ways. 15 years later, Hmm. we're coming up on 15 years. It's there it is. And it comes back in certain ways. I'll be driving and I'll be thinking, oh, and then it'll take me to that moment. And so there's nobody that can say, well, you're dealing with this wrong. And for others, it's a weight of dealing with loss is so difficult and it can break us all in different ways. That's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. 
And if you can embrace that and understand you're not doing anything wrong, just understand what it is and where you are and know that you'll get through it because there's a light and the tunnel seems long and dark, but there's a light that defines us and drives us. Tragedy happens to all of us in different ways and you're human by dealing with them. And even if you stumble and decide you're going to try something that may not be in your best interest, understand that you're not alone and that you can get through it and that there are people out there, there are resources out there, whether it through your job, through a counselor, through friends. And the biggest thing as a friend you can do when somebody is dealing with grief is just be present, mm -hmm. just listen, because you can't solve it. Mm -hmm. There's no solving the why <laughs> of tragedy of that could happen because it can happen to anybody at any moment. And being there and being present, I don't understand what you're dealing with, but I'm there for you. Even if it's just to be there and to give a hug, that's how you can help other people who are dealing with their grief and their challenges. Because as humans, we want to solve everything, especially as a man, I want to solve everything for my wife and for my family. Um, but at certain points in time, you can't. You just have to be present. And, and that's the struggle because people can't comprehend grief if they haven't dealt with it. But even if you have, it's not the same because my grief is my grief. Your grief is your grief. And so it's just to be in the moment with somebody is so valuable. And, you know, we all deal with the moments like for us, Vince died on Groundhog's Day. And it's like you can relive that day every day. And, you know, time goes by and their outpouring of people that came to us were great. And then everybody gets on with their lives. Mm -hmm. So for others that are out there and in, in listening to this in the future, um, you know, as time goes by and we deal with grief, it could be six months just to say, hey, how you doing? And just reconnect because we live in that moment and we can, it can, it can overwhelm us and everybody goes on with their lives, which they should. And so it's just being there and reconnecting and saying, you know, I know it's tough. I'm here for you because that can be invaluable and that could save somebody. I think you just said, I mean, everything everyone needs to hear that was so beautiful and so just so true that life moves on, but it can be Groundhog's Day for someone over and over and over again. And to just be there for people and just hold space for them can really change their whole life. Mm -hmm. oh, I Yeah. So changing people's lives and honoring Vincey, what were your next steps? I know Stacy briefly talked about the popcorn store. Tell us about how you opened the store and celebrated Vincey's life. At the time that Vince was born, up until the year prior, I was working for a small company um, that did concession supplies and had a a pre-pop gourmet popcorn store that they had ran and owned and I took over to manage. And so I wanted to own my own business. And when we lost Vince, I decided, and with the help of my wife's career and her her success, we opened up a little gourmet popcorn store in Wauwatosa, and we called it Colonel Pop's Popcorn Company. I came up with the idea, the whole concept, I guess, would be the best way to put it, um, and worked through and were able to literally, Vince passed in February, we opened the business in September, and we just poured our grief 
into opening the business, redoing the space, developing the program for fundraising. And so we opened our business about seven months after he passed away and used it as a vehicle for six years. We had a retail space to talk about our son and where we were. And I was very blessed to have had a lot of coverage on the radio, in newsprint, on TV, to talk about what we did, what happened to us, how we managed our grief and our legacy of our son and really impacted a lot of people and people you don't even know. And it's so interesting how in life you can literally impact somebody without knowing. So I had a gentleman that would come into the store and he was just a character, just a, I'll call him a dude. He would come in and talk to me um, never bought anything, but he lived down the block and he would come in and we just, you know, shoot the, the stuff and go forward and talk about stuff. And he was just, Hey, how can you make money doing this and blah, blah, blah. And we talk in just 20 minutes here or there. And so, and he was just, you know, a guy. And so I just would say, Hey, and be nice to him. Um, not really expecting anything out of him, but just to be nice and be present for him. And so as it turned out, it was right before we decided to move on from the business. I got a, a, a note in the mail and it was a little card and it had the remembrance card and it was this guy and he was probably in his 40s then and there was a letter with the, the newspaper clipping in the card and it was from his mom and it, you know, this is my son. You may not have known his name, but he'd come in all the time and he'd talk and he, he didn't really have a lot of people in his life. He didn't really have a lot of friends and he counted you as somebody that really made an impact in his life. And so I looked at that and I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Cause I just would sit there and, and, and shoot the shit with him. And he said that that really brightened his life cause he didn't really have anybody. And so I never knew that. And yet it impacted me tremendously how I could do that for somebody. And to this day, I carry that story because it was like, you know, you never know how holding the door open or how just smiling at somebody can truly turn around the path that they're on mm -hmm. and where they go and you know just being nice and being present for someone can just totally make a difference in their day because you never know how anybody is what they're dealing with and just a smile and how that can just change somebody or or doing something and it was really you know again i value that because it was like i look at how the universe has provided me these opportunities that I can grow and that you can be somebody for somebody else and help somebody without even knowing. And so it's so cool how we can impact stuff and you'll never know it. You know, you could see somebody today and change their whole trajectory of where their life's going just by being nice and just by being somebody for them. When you think about the ripple effects and I've watched Paul like, so the person that, that when we met, the person that I knew that he shared with me, he did not share with many people. And when you talk about taking the, the tragedy and the grief and what do you do with it, it literally, it cracked us both open in different ways. I've always tended to be 
gregarious and I'm, I'm a physical therapist. So I was always talking to people and engaging people. That was part of what I had to do. And Paul in a different way in sales, but he, it was different because he didn't necessarily have to be cracked open and be, it, it was just a different interactions. To see how he took the loss of our son and remade himself. He opened himself and his heart. It cracked us both open, it, but it, 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 he opened his heart to people that he didn't know. And that didn't happen very often before. And he remade himself as I remade myself as well. But I very much followed his lead. He led this. He's so eloquent in the way that he explains it. The whole popcorn store, instead of the path of therapy and talking about it, it was building, taking all that creative energy that you would have poured, we were pouring into our son, instead went into the popcorn business and but it wasn't just a popcorn store. It was it, it was a baby. It had its own life as well. It was not just a popcorn store. No. It was also some of my income in college. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this place where I would work there and these middle school boys would come in after school and like have change and get slushies and all the stuff and they all knew Uncle Paul. And it was just, it's like cheers. Everyone knows your name, except it's Paul and it's yeah. Colonel Pops. Yeah. It was such a special place. And to be able to spread Vincy's memory and celebrate him through it, it was just one of those happy places that you would just walk into and feel welcome and loved. I had a ton of people that would come in after the news stories or being on the radio and would come in and even just share their own memories of what they dealt with. And it was a moment for them to realize they weren't alone and that they could have somebody to share with. And so, as you mentioned, the little middle schoolers would come in because we were two blocks away from the middle school. After after school, they'd come in with all their change and I'd make sure I took every penny of it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I it's funny, but now they're all professionals, college mm -hmm. graduates. And I, to this day, I'll come in to them and I'll run into them and they'll talk about their memories of coming oh. into the store and everything else. And I now am, I sell heating and cooling equipment and go into houses of some of my customers and they talk about their experiences of what we dealt with and, and how I impacted them. And so it's been rewarding in that aspect of it to see, you know, the, the development and the growth of the little kids that came in, but also, you know, how I interact with people and how that can change. And so it's been, you know, that was the reward and the decisions that we made. We've been fortunate that that was the direction we chose. You don't choose what happens to you, but you choose how you react to what happens. You know, we had people say, it's God's will. Well, I don't believe that God chose to take my child. God chose how I handled losing my son because that's just life. Mm -hmm. And so we made the decision, as everybody does, and there's nothing wrong with the decisions that each person makes to a certain extent. 
some choices may not be right. And hopefully as friends of those people who are making choices that may be bad, they'll connect with them and say, hey, let's take a look. Let's step back and take a look at something and perhaps choose a different path than what you're on, whether it be substances or drinking or whatnot, um, and try to help everybody that's dealing with this. Cause, and that's what we should all be doing anyways, is just trying to help our fellow humans become better. The world right now is so difficult and so negative and so dark that showing some positiveness, just like what you do and how great you are in connecting with people and the message that you put forth with your business and with your podcast, that spreads joy and that spreads hope. And that's what we're here to do. I mean, we've been fortunate enough that life took us where it did and then we were blessed with two beautiful daughters. Weren't anticipating and weren't trying. And then our beautiful oldest daughter now, Micah, was born in 2006 and she was born in the middle of the popcorn store and as far as her she was there no not literally (laughs) there but she was born when we were having you know we were a fledgling business and Micah popcorn Popcorn was what she was named and so she would spend her first Christmas in the popcorn store in the bassinet as we were trying to do Christmas business and stuff and so then three years after that we were blessed with another beautiful girl. And so we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have two beautiful daughters, amazing children and who are 10 and 13 and that, you know, they understand where their life is and what their life means and how we treat them and teach them to be good people. And we're so fortunate that there's just such wonderful little people and little humans. And that's our reward. And that is in part because of our son and what we the message that he brought to us and our family we're very fortunate we're very rich in that aspect of our lives and so that's really truly the message that we can take and that we took and learned from him and it's something for us and for me i have to sometimes relearn and reestablish that need to understand and that the lessons that he brought to me and that's human. Sometimes we're going to stumble. And I tell my girls this, you know, what's the biggest lesson when you fall down is to get back up. And that's what we've done. And that's how we've handled ourselves. And I think that's how you're inspiring so many people who are going to listen to this, that maybe their grief is totally different, but they can hear your story and just have hope that, wow, like... And and it's not done. Mm-hmm. Like... like what, Paul just said that moment to moment, it's still moment to moment. And I feel that we are still remaking ourselves. I'm still remaking myself. Just what Paul said about having to reconnect and relearn because we get, you know, sucked into the day to day. And I'm very much of a process person and a to do list and what's the next thing that. I forget. I forget that, wait a minute, I need to slow down. And what's the message here? So for me, you know, sometimes there there are signs, and we'll talk to the girls too about, well, a sign. I know that we talked a little bit about Gigi. Gigi's very much still, it's very raw dealing with the loss of Nana. And 
she and I will talk about, well, watch for signs from Nana. Nana's not gone. She's just in a different form. She's, and Gigi will even cry about Vince and never having met Vince. And again, we'll, we'll just talk about how can you, um, moment to moment, make connections, just making it to that next moment. Mm -hmm. So slowing it down. Um, and that's hard for me. I tend to look too far in advance instead of living in the present. And I think that's uh, to Paul's point of just holding space for someone. Sometimes it's holding space for yourself. I, I did hear something recently that said our lives in our society today, it's this to the next to the next. And we become so busy that when we become so busy, we don't allow enough space in between not only for ourselves, but for other people. So to check on someone and just say, I'm here for you, just thinking about you, we lose that space to think about those things and make those connections when we just want to get to the next thing almost maybe to prevent mm -hmm. going there yes. and thinking sometimes we make ourselves so busy and I am the queen of that <laughs> and Paul could talk for hours about that but I keep trying to learn and I and and even though I fail at it I then pick myself up brush myself off Okay, I can do this. I I can be a better version of myself, and I can learn. I recently was part of a, a book club or a class that talked about you're laying down tracks. You're lay you're trying to lay down tracks in the direction you want to go, and to make it more incremental. And I have this goal in mind. And am I just moment to moment moving towards that goal? Am I making just small incremental changes in that direction? I may never get there. But if I am making laying down tracks in the right direction for where I want to be, then I'm becoming a better version of myself. And that's the best that mm -hmm. anyone can do, in my opinion. I think that's so smart. And we get to this point where we kind of assume that we should be done learning in life sometimes instead of actually realizing that we should never stop learning, we should never stop growing and taking away these lessons that lives teach us. Even a sweet 12-week-old life has taught so many people so much and, you know, never taking any of that for granted. I think as humans, one of our greatest failings is thinking we have control Mm -hmm. over what our environment is. And in an instant, our lives can be completely discombobulated and completely torn apart. And we should really embrace every moment for what it is and the beauty of each moment, whether it's taking a minute to look at the sky and see the, the splendor of nature or just to be available for somebody else. And if you're frustrated and you're in the car, instead of honking the horn and giving the bird, maybe just realizing, okay, just let it pass and just not getting bound up by the, the momentary things that can stop us from moving forward and realizing that as human beings, our energy and our flow just needs to be continual and continuously growing into a positive force that can only help society as a whole. 
And um, and I think kind of what Paul was saying too about not honking the horn and flipping the bird, you know, doing like you get this anger, kind of want to express it is holding space. So instead of reacting in an outward reaction, it's maybe, okay, I'm going to hold space for that person because they, something's going on with them. And that's what I can, that can be my reaction, which doesn't cause the same type of ripple effect that giving someone the bird and sending out that negative. I think that's totally spot on and perfect. So as you guys have gone through your lives, what's something you can leave our audience with as they go on with their lives? I think the most important, one of the biggest lessons, not most important, that we've learned is just to be open, be present, and be positive for all people around us. And that we never know what each individual is dealing with at that moment. And so we can't judge how they're behaving that they're not dealing with a whole lot of crap in their lives. And they may be projecting that in the wrong way, but it's how can we just be open for them. And that's one of the things from that moment on that when I was driving back at 105, 110 miles an hour in a jalopy, um, (laughs) just to be positive we each deal with our own crap and we're all going to deal with it in our own way. But if we can be positive and present for somebody else that may change their entire life and not even know it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that it's a choice being positive. It takes some work to choose that. Absolutely. It does (laughs) because there are two ways to look at something personally I used to be from situations, how are you? Not bad. I had to physically change my perspective and say, how are you? I'm good. I'm great. And that's a choice that I made. And it was tough because of growing up in situations, it was that was how it is. And that is a decision that you make because it's the same, the same phrase is one's from a negative, one's from a positive. Because I'll say that to people, oh, I'm not bad. So you're that good? That's the choice we can make. You can be not bad and you can be good. They're the exact same thing and it's how you phrase it and how you frame that conversation. And what I try to do in my own life now, I say that all the time, how you frame the conversation can put yourself forth in that manner and that can impact a lot. It's laying down the tracks. Thank you guys so much for opening your hearts and your energy and giving space for everyone who's gonna listen to this and hopefully not feel alone. I feel like they can make those choices too. 